Our God is worthy, worthy to be praised, and it is such a privilege to be with you today, Grace Chapel, even if it is online and virtual. And uh, Marilyn and I are so grateful for our partnership with you in the gospel. Let me pray as we prepare ourselves to hear from our God through his word. Lord our God, we bless your name. This morning we thank you that it's a new Lord's Day, that we can gather in this way uh, and, and we anticipate a day when we will gather face to face again and then face to face with you, our Lord. We're amazed, Lord Jesus, that you took on flesh, that you became one of us, that you actually were incarnate and you walked this earth. Oh, Lord, thank you that, that you understand our weaknesses. You understand our trials. You, you understand sickness and pain and trial and, and disappointment and loneliness even and, and betrayal. Lord, thank you that you have washed us clean. And Lord, show us this day what it is to have the heart of a true believer, one who has met face to face with Messiah. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So how many advertisements have you seen that have told you that they would change your life? I mean, the book that will change your life, right? The, 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 the uh, marketing scheme that will change your whole outlook on life. And what have we been hearing lately? Oh, the political candidate who will change your life and the whole country, right? Um, marketing to change your life. Secret investment plans to change your life. You know, as Christians, we may sometimes fall for these kinds of claims. But when we think about it, when we stop and we pray, we realize, no, no, only Jesus changes everything. Only Jesus. and Because he, he only he can change a life. And today we want to look at the story of the Samaritan woman at the well with Jesus and show how through her meeting with Jesus, he changed everything in her life. So first we see that Jesus takes compassion, uh, and he, compassionate initiative, and he reaches out to the lost of the lost. He's such a great example to us of that. We are supposed to reach out to the lost. Well, Jesus takes the worst, the ones that would be most difficult to reach out to, and he draws them to himself. And the text tells us that Jesus left Judea. We're in John, John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at a, lot, a large section in John chapter 4. And we're in verse 3 here. Jesus, it says in that verse, and John says, that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Now, if you were looking at a map, and trying to get a feel for, okay, Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's working his way up to uh, Cana. Well, yeah, sure, of course, he'd have to pass through Samaria. And, uh, but 
most Jews would not do what Jesus did. They would take the long way around. You go back to that slide there where, G, where he goes the long way around. Yeah, there we go. He would take the long way around. Hey, for those of you that like using the Fitbit, you know, we're talking about 72,000 additional steps that they would take. Why would a person or why would a whole people group do such a thing? Well, many of you know that Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. They, they, they hated each other. These people did not like each other. In fact, that had to do with the fact that the Jews had been, they had ex, been expatriated from that northern area of, of uh, Judea. And, they, and other people were brought in. So this was a mixed breed of people. And they only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament, you know, the Pentateuch. And they actually had their own temple in Gerizim, which the Jews hated so much that in, uh, in, in, the, year, what would, in, the, in, uh, in the year 128 B.C., they actually destroyed it. And the Samaritans, oh, they returned the favor. Around 8, in the year 8 A.D., they desecrated the temple by throwing, you know, bones into, the, into the, the holy place or into the place of worship there. So these people absolutely hated each other. And we've got a little experience with that too in our country, don't we? People who just cannot each other and cannot get along with each other and hate each other. So, but the question here is why did Jesus have to pass through Samaria? Why would he love a people and reach out to a people who hated his people, the Jews? Let's consider the story in John chapter 4 to find out. So when Jesus and his disciples came to Samaria. They had probably been walking since early morning. And it was hilly. Up and down the hills they would go. And kind of like the Appalachian, parts of the Appalachian Mountains. And yet it was really dry, really arid also. Jesus sends the disciples into the city or into the town, Sikar, to get some food. And he goes and he sits down at the well. And uh, he's resting from his journey. He's a real man with real hunger, real thirst, real exhaustion. And uh, that's not his focus, however. Jesus is focused on something else. For along comes the Samaritan woman from Sychar to draw water from the well. And Jesus says to her, a very natural question for you or I, you would think, yeah, give me a drink. You know, when I came here today, I asked, uh, can I get a water? I'm thirsty. You know, how much more was Jesus and his disciples thirsty from their walk and being in a dry and arid land? You know, in, in the church that I pastor in Kiev, it's an international church, and we have some Iranians in our church, and I have said things to uh, one of my Iranian brothers that if I said it to an American, you'd say, no big deal. But to say it to an Iranian, it was like 
an insult. It was like one of the worst things I could say. And um, so when Jesus said to the woman, give me a drink, uh, she was shocked. She was very surprised. And so she says to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For, for, and that John ex- helps and explains that for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. What he's talking about there probably is the fact that, well, the woman had to use her jar, her jug, or whatever, her pot, whatever she had, to draw water from that well, and then Jesus probably would have had to drink from it, or maybe from a little dipper. He would have had to use her... Uh, her instruments or her, her cups, and, and Jews simply didn't do that. Second, there was a, a view in their culture that, especially rabbis, and Jesus was obviously a rabbi, she understood this, they would not talk to a, a Jewish woman in public, let alone a Samaritan woman. So Jesus was breaking through two cultural taboos in his day. And so how would Jesus work around this apparently awkward situation? And, uh, and, and why would he even put himself in this kind of situation? Um, and look at his answer to the woman. He says, if you knew the gift of God, this is verse 10, and who it is who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, Jesus is speaking of something here that is even more highly, surpri- uh, highly prized than, than water that would be so valued in a dry and arid land. And uh, I think what he's talking about, he's, he's speaking about something that Jeremiah mentions in, in Jeremiah 2.13. My people have committed Two sins, they've forsaken me, the spring of living water. That's it right there. God refers to himself as the spring of living water. And they've dug cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot carry water. So Jesus is offering her eternal life, which is a relationship with the living God, who is like living water. But of course, the woman only hears a literal offer. Uh, Tim, but she's starting to understand that Jesus is also turning her attention, drawing her at- attention to himself and to, he, to who he is. And so she asks, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and to drink from. He, as, he did as he drank from and as his son and his, his livestock drank from it. And so Jesus answers her, Everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But the water that I give him uh, will give him, it will, he'll never be thirsty again, and the water that I will give to him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Wow, that is quite an offer that Jesus gives to the woman. Jesus promises that the water he provides, it gives inner satisfaction. It gives eternal life. It transforms one's life. And uh, the woman can't resist. She wants this water and that Jesus is offering her. But 
And who wouldn't want such water, right? But she still doesn't really understand who Jesus is. She has not yet encountered the Messiah for who he is and therefore has not does not yet experience the changed heart of a true believer. But Jesus is drawing her. He's drawing her. And so uh, he says to her, when, when he, he, he says to her, call your husband to come here. And she answers, I have no husband. And isn't Jesus so kind and yet so direct and to the point when he says to her, you're right to say you have no husband. Um, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. And again, he says something kind at the end. What you have said is true. Could you imagine? How would you feel if all of your sins were exposed? Now it comes to light why this woman is coming at the heat of the day, in the middle of the day, the sixth hour is a reference to noon. She comes at the heat of the day when no other women would be there. Normally, women would come early in the morning, sometimes late in the evening as well, but early in the morning in the cool of the day, and they'd be there, and it would be a chance of catching up with the other women in town and finding out what's been going on. But this woman had been mistreated had been ostracized. She experienced social distancing in a different kind of way than most of us are experiencing it today because they knew the kind of life that she led, that the adultery, the divorce, the marriage again, the living with a man who is not her husband. And she had heard the whispers time and again to the point where it was just too painful to be around those people. And so the better thing was to isolate herself and to avoid those kinds of people. But now, even though she was a Samaritan woman, a divorcee multiple times, an adulteress, Jesus not only speaks to her, he breaks through these ta taboos, but he offers her something she wants desperately and doesn't even know she needs, and that is eternal life. And her response to Jesus' revelation of her sinful lifestyle, it's typical of most of us. Uh, let's change the subject. Let's talk about something else. Let's, uh, let's divert the discussion to um, something that sounds religious and, and so I can hide behind what's been exposed about my sin. But I think she may have had more involved in her motivation to asking that question than that, which caused her to, say, to ask, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. You know, uh, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And again, Jesus is so patient so kind, and he actually answers her question. He talks about worshiping in spirit and in truth, and we don't have time to get into the details of that passage this morning. We're going to focus on a couple of other issues, but that's a really important point Jesus makes. And uh, so after patiently answering her, then 
this leads the woman to ask him, or actually to make a statement of fact. She says, I know that when Messiah is, co- uh, that Messiah is coming, who is called, he who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And then Jesus makes a very direct statement. In fact, you might argue that, that Jesus never speaks more clearly about who he is. He says, when, he, when she says she knows Messiah is coming, he says, I who speak to you am he. What a revelation, right? And uh, this, is the, this is the Messiah whom even the Samaritans, who only had the first five books of the Old Testament, were waiting for. They had heard Moses talk about that there would be one who would come like him, who would speak to God face to face. And they were waiting for this Messiah. And now, here he is, standing right in front of her. And then what happens? Right then, at the climax of our story, (laughs) <laughs> the, 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 the disciples come back. Now, how would that make you feel? How would you react if you were the woman? You know, d- despite the disciples' untimely return, meeting Jesus, transform the, transform the woman's attitude and purpose. But you might miss it. You know, here she is. She just hears the Messiah's, this Messiah is talking with her. And... Then these 12 guys come in, the beards dirty, probably sweaty from the trip, and they're looking at Jesus. Why is he talking with the woman? What is she doing here? But no one actually specifically said that to Jesus or to her. But if it was me, if I was that woman, I'd be like, uh, I think I'm, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm out of here. I, uh, this is just too awkward for me. Uh, <laughs> um, but look what happens. Despite the, the, ba- the, 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 the poor timing of their return, look what she does. She ultimately, she witnesses before the twelve witness. She witnesses before the twelve do. Huh. Now, she leaves her water pot there. If it was me, I'd say, oh, well, I came all this way. I should at least fill my, my water jug and take it back with me. No, she's so excited. She's so in earnest that she leaves it there. She goes back to the town to talk to her people. And I want you to notice two things about what she says. First, uh, the first thing we already mentioned, the water jug, leaving it. Something's changed in her. She has a different priority than she had before. And then when she goes back to the town, second, this is the second thing I want you to notice, she says to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now you might be thinking, well, what's the big deal about that? Well, isn't this the very thing? You know, people knowing the things she had done that embarrassed her, that, that, that 
caused her to feel like she didn't fit with anybody else, that caused the gossip in the, towards her? Isn't that what caused her to come to the well at a different time so she didn't have to be near these people? Now she's willing to acknowledge it, to tell the people, come see a man who told me everything about me. It's not that she is saying, oh, my sin doesn't matter, but she's, I think she's starting to realize that she's been forgiven, that she has a Messiah, a Savior that has cleansed her, that has made her whole, and she's finding that that well of living water is springing up inside of her, which gives satisfaction. And uh, notice the shift of her values, the shift of her priorities. It's, her priority is no longer being socially distanced, isolated from the other people so she doesn't have to feel embarrassed. It's letting other people know about the Savior. That's now her priority. And she's not shameful, but elated at the possibility that we have the long-awaited Messiah in our very midst. And so her social status was not her priority and what other people thought about her. She cared about her sin, but she, I think she was starting to understand that the one who judges was willing to make her clean and give her eternal life. And so that's my question for each of us. Are we this kind of believer? Are we the kind of believer who really understands what Christ has accomplished for us, what he's given to us. So that how other people view us is not our first and highest priority anymore, but letting other people know about the Savior who gives this living water. That's our priority. Do you experience the satisfaction that's welling up in your heart, and are you willing to share about your former sinful life like she did and, and so that others can see, I've been changed. I've been transformed. My priorities are not the same anymore. You know, we all have a testimony. The question is, can we share our testimony? Do we share our testimony? If you've never written out your testimony before and so that you could share it. I really encourage you to do that and to share it with a brother or sister first and then share it with your family and friends. The heart of a true believer results in others being drawn to Jesus Christ. That's the norm, just as with this woman. And the interesting thing is, when you look at that text, that when they end up coming out to see Jesus and they were coming out to him, they say the same thing. It's no, they say to the woman, it's, it's no longer because of what you said to us, you know, it's, uh, but because we've seen Jesus ourselves. So they repeat the same words that the woman spoke. So it's repeated like three times in this context. He told me all that I ever did. That's how important those words are. And they were saying it's no longer because of you. We know that he is the savior of the world. Okay, that, that's amazing. But in the meantime, you know, when be, between that time of their coming out, Jesus has a, a, uh, a lesson with his disciples on evangelism. Okay, and just, I, we, we, we have only a short period of time left here. 
So I just want to make three quick points. The first is that Jesus is all about making his Father God, his loving Father God known. That's what he's here for. He's not about, you know, having all of his comforts meet, met, uh, you know, when they, because his disciples are like, wait, I don't get it. Does he have food to eat that we don't know about? You know, and he's, my food is to do, do the will of my Father. That's what satisfies him. And so that's his first point with his disciples about evangelism, that it should be our joy. His second is that others are already participating in the harvest with him. And I've wondered about that for a long time. Who is he referring to? Is he talking about the, is he talking about the uh, prophets in the Old Testament? Is he talking about himself? Is he, and I think he's also talking about the Samaritan woman. And he's probably seeing you know, the people from her town coming out when he says, hey, the fields are white for harvest. He's probably seeing them coming out and real, realizing she's already witnessed to them and that's why they're coming. And so then thirdly, notice that Jesus sends his disciples to also reap and labor in the harvest field of sows, sowers that we might have joy together. That's the point of all of this. It's not checking off our box. Oh, I've got a witness if I'm a... No, we do it for joy for joy and it's again it's this well of water springing up inside of us and that's my prayer for all of you grace chapel and for all of us and for our church and for those that we teach in in ukraine and so i want to turn some to some application questions from john chapter 4 and jesus is meeting with the woman at the well as we think about what truly happens to one who who meets the Savior, the heart of a true believer draws others to Christ. So my first question is, do you have that heart of a true believer, like the Samaritan woman? And how does that change her heart? How does that change her willingness to share uh, the good news with others, to even share something that maybe is embarrassing for ourselves? You know, are we willing to do that? Some of us are like, oh, I couldn't do that. You know, it's so awkward or this kind of thing. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. We're awkward. And like When I first started preaching, getting up in front of people, super awkward for me. But you know what? There was something else that, that I wanted more, and that was to communicate the truth of the gospel. And it's the same thing when we share the gospel with friends and family and those that we care about. Hey, yeah, we're awkward, but do we, if we have the true heart of a believer, then there's something welling up in us that says, I gotta do this. It's like Jeremiah, you know, something burning in his bones, you know. And like I say, you could commit to writing this out. Others in the church, I'm sure, will be willing to help you uh, with that. Um, and, and, you know, some people, some of you maybe say, well, gee, I, I, I really am not even walking with Christ yet. Well, look what Jesus did with this Samaritan woman. He broke through these taboos uh, of, of their culture to come to her, the lost of the lost. So you can believe, too, that he will come to you if you just turn your heart to him. Realize that you're a sinner and you need the Savior. He, he broke through the taboo, if you will, of, of becoming one of us. I mean, for so many people in his day and in our day, that doesn't make sense. God taking on flesh, becoming one of us. Dirt, and not just one of us, but a, you know, the most lowly and the one who would die on a cross in our place to, so that we could have salvation. 
My second application question for you is, why do you come to church? What is your motivation for that? Do you only come for what you can get? Or do you come uh, uh, for what you can see just with your eyes? Or do you come for something more? Do you come to grow in your relationship with Jesus and to worship the Savior in spirit and in truth with other believers? Do you come to join brothers and sisters in a culture of evangelism where you say, hey, we are here to build one another up in the faith so that we can then be effective witnesses in our community. Do you come thinking, do you come because you can't stop thinking about the Lord Jesus who saved you? Are you interested in developing and encouraging a culture of discipleship where there's people who know Christ who are helping others to grow in their relationship with Christ so that they can lead others to Christ, to lead others to Christ, and so on. That's why the church exists until he comes. A cult, and, and also, it's a culture of worship where our hearts are most satisfied in Jesus. You know, sometimes I get really caught up in my week and in, in everything that's going on because there's problems, there's struggles, there's difficulties. But when we stop and we worship our Savior, we're reminded again, He is the most excellent one. He is the most perfect one. He is the one who will someday make everything right. And so I can rest again and worship my third question, application question, are you participating in the harvest? Are you entering into the work with the Savior and others who have already started uh, laboring in the fields that are ripe for harvest? They're all around us here in Waterford, here in Michigan, there in, in Ukraine, and all over the world. The harvest is plentiful. You know, at our church, we, that that. Uh, Iranian brother that I mentioned to you, he is working with a team to reach out to uh, Middle Easterners that are living in Ukraine. And we've got another brother, he's got a goal to reach out to 10 men to be discipled next year. And we've encouraged others to join him on that team. I'm sure there are discipleship groups here, there are men and women who are reaching out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're saying, I, I, I'm not sure I'm ready to do that. Well, go find somebody that you know is doing that and say, look, I need help. I want to grow in this area. Would you, would you come alongside me and help me to do this? And I'm sure they would be elated to do that. I really encourage you in that um, for the harvest of souls and the joy that comes with that with Jesus. And lastly, fourth. Uh, I, I'm not, when I say lastly, I don't mean that there are only these many applications from the passage, but that this is the, the fourth and last I'm going to mention. What does the Lord want you to do Love to love others from other cultures or from maybe a segment of society that's awkward for you or, 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 or uncomfortable for you to associate with? Um, Jesus broke through these taboos. His disciples were like, what's going on here? We know Peter had more lessons to learn, like in Acts chapter 10 where the sheet had to come down three times. Peter, you know, uh, stand, kill, eat, 
No, I've never, you know, and it took him a while to learn these things, even after Jesus gave him good examples, right? And it's the same for us. We sometimes need to hear it a number of times before we say, yeah, that really is what the Lord wants me to do. Where does the Lord want you to break through and, 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 and be able to communicate with somebody maybe from another culture or another part of society that you normally wouldn't? Uh, because if he did it, if he became one of us and gave us this kind of example, then how ought we to live? We should be okay with that too. What prejudice maybe do we have that keep us sometimes from doing that, that we need to repent and, and, and acknowledge to the Lord that, that we're holding back on doing and being the kind of people that he would have us be? We, the, because the heart of a true believer the heart of a true believer draws others to Christ, and it doesn't matter what, what culture they're from, what color their skin is, any of those kinds of things, right? They have a heart, and, and the heart of a true believer is one that's willing to continue to learn and grow and love more and more. And so this heart understands that ultimately it's not what th who they are, uh, and, uh, but Christ who lives in them, and that's how we're able to love others. Amen, my brothers and sisters. Let's close in prayer. Our Lord, we thank you. We thank you again that you are so awesome, that you, who are seated at the Father's right hand, that you became lowly by taking on flesh, by becoming one of us. We thank you for that. And then you gave us the most amazing example by reaching out to the lost of the lost. You gave us an example of reaching out to those that were isolated, separated from others, and we, we're thankful to you for that and that you would have us live that kind of life ourselves. I pray for Grace Chapel. I pray for each brother and sister here that they would have the heart of a true believer that uh, finds their joy in drawing others to you because they cannot help but share that which they love. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.